You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today we're going to start a series for the next three weeks uh, through the month of April. Uh, we're going to talk about what's next. What's next? And uh, this is for those of you that maybe are, are new in your faith and you want to know what's next in your relationship with God. But it's also for every person in here uh, that maybe you've walked with God for a while. And, uh, but there's just, you know, I, I believe it matters how we start. So have you ever said to somebody, you know, you had kind of a bad interaction and you, you're like, let's just start over. Let's, we got off on the wrong foot. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, no, none of you have ever done that. You've always, okay. I've gone on the, off on the wrong foot. I'm, I'm getting off on the wrong foot with some of you right now. That's okay. <laughs> and it actually comes from racing. Any runners in here? Are there any runners? My wife's a runner. We've got a couple runners. Uh, some of you are like, what are you going to make me do? Nothing. I'm not going to make you do anything. I'm not going to ask you to run. I'm not a runner. If you see me running, look behind me. Something's chasing me. <laughs> Start running. You don't even ask. Just run. That's the only reason I'm going to be running. Uh, it's true. But I'll say this, that, you know, when, you, when a, if somebody starts at the starting line, if you start off on the wrong foot, you're not able to have the, the optimal pace and speed. You're not able to hit the peak performance that you could possibly do. And so as a believer in Jesus, God wants us to start on the right, right foot. And, and we're going to look at this uh, today, starting with what's next. And, and what's next Something is often something we say when uh, something bad's happening. You ever have like more than one thing break on your car? Like something breaks and then like two days later, it's all happening at the same time. Maybe you should have taken it in for that 85,000 mile checkup. Anyway, I'm feeling convicted. Um, but, but here's what happens is we start to say, what's next? Like what else could break? Uh, maybe not in your car, maybe in your house. Like one thing seems to break, the fridge breaks, the microwave breaks, like you know, what next? And, and we say that as a negative, but uh, you know, remember 2020? Anybody remember 2020? couple things happened then. It's actually when we started our church. Uh, River City Church began in 2020. My wife and I moved here for her, moved back home uh, for us. We moved here in April of 2020, and I had a Florida license plate, so I had to hide it because we were coming from a hot spot. <laughs> Kidding. Not really. Um, but we, we actually moved here during the 14-day shutdown. We're like, hey, we're going to start a church. And everybody's like, we don't want to meet with anybody. Uh, it was easy. Um, but, but that year brought a lot of challenges, as I don't have to remind you, brought a lot of challenges. And it started with, you know, of course, uh, coronavirus, and then it, you know, with the economy shut down, and many people's businesses and livelihoods were affected. And, and then things seemed to get weirder. Did you notice? Like, things just got weird. Like, people started watching the Tiger King. It just got weird. <laughs> <laughs> Only three of you. Okay, good. Um, and, and then there was murder hornets. And you remember the murder hornet? Like you, re, you pull up the news, like okay, what's happening? Murder hornets. Great. What's next? And and uh, but here's how I, I think some people, even Christians, live their lives like that. What's next? We're looking for the next bad thing, the next negative thing, the next thing that oh, what could go wrong now? And I think that comes from not really knowing who God is, not really understanding the faithfulness and the goodness of God. That while there's difficulties and challenges in life, we can have an expectation. In fact, here's what Romans 8 says. And we're going to read it first from the Message Bible. Romans 8, 14, in the Message Bible says this, God's Spirit beckons. In other words, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, is calling, inviting, stirring, awakening. And God's Spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid or grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? 
God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are father and children, that, that God has done something in us. We celebrated last week the resurrection of Jesus, and, and what that made possible was, of course, for us to have a home in heaven. But it's a home in heaven with our family, that he's brought us into his family. We were orphaned by sin. Sin left us without identity and worth and value in the world's eyes. So the world says you're a number, a statistic, you're, you're a random mix of chemical reactions and, and just a, that's, that's it. But, but God comes along and says, no, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You have a purpose from heaven. You were created on purpose for a purpose. And, and God calls us, he stirs us, he invites us through the Holy Spirit first to know him. And then to experience the life that he's created for us, he says here in this verse that the Holy Spirit awakens inside of us a recognition that now you are a child of God. Now you are adopted. You belong. You are a part of the family. And that family has, well, well all of our families, no matter how good our fathers and mothers were, we're imperfect, we're fallible. But here's what we know about God. God is always good. Like I can be good for a couple minutes. Are, are you with me? I can be good after I've had a couple cups of coffee. But God is always good, consistently good, consistently faithful. His love doesn't fluctuate with his moods. His love is consistent and it's always to rescue, always to redeem, always pursuing you and me. And he calls us to experience that resurrection life. It says it's not a grave tending life. Religion's like that. Religion is just like, uh, you know, it's, it's like a waiting room for heaven. It's like a, a cold religious dead graveyard. And yet Jesus raises us to life and calls us to, here's what I believe faith should be. It should be not just, well, I wonder what's going to happen in the world. Oh, man, things are getting bad, and this is getting bad, and oh, man, my, my family's a mess, and my kids are a mess. And, my, and, and we, we have all, we, you don't have to be spiritual to identify problems. Are you with me? Like, you just have to turn on the TV. Like, that's it. You just have to, like, just, there's, there's problems all over the world. And yet, here's what I love about God. With God, we can have an expectation of good because he's good. Amen. That he has good things in store, good things planned for us. All things work together for good according to the plan and purpose of God for those that love God are called. So here's what it says. Uh, we should have an anticipation, greeting God. What if you woke up today and you say, God, what's next? Not, not what, what, what's gonna break next, not, not what's wrong next, but instead, God, what's next? What do you have in store for my life and my family? In fact, sometimes we're, we're so jaded and cynical even by religion, by disappointment, that we can't really say that in honesty. We think, well, maybe God will do it. Maybe God can't. What if we stopped letting our disappointments frame our faith and instead let God's word and who he is frame what we anticipate and what we pray for and what we expect? So, so Jesus rises from the dead, meets with his, with his disciples, appears to over 500 people, and then he gathers his closest followers, his disciples, and, and he gives them some instructions. Acts chapter 1 tells us what he did. In Acts 1, it says this, that he, for 40 days, instructed them concerning the kingdom of God. He told them concerning his kingdom. He's the king, and he's describing, this is what my kingdom's about, what it's for, what, what's going to play out. And, and yet, they do have some questions. And their questions had more to do with, of course, some fulfill, fulfillment of Bible prophecy, but also some just realities of their day. They were under, a, in Israel, they were under the rule of the Roman Empire. 
And their preoccupation was, we've got a political problem, we've got a natural problem, and we have natural pain and natural issues, so, so we need a solution that's, that's, that's right now in that sense. And so they asked Jesus, when are you going to, is this the time for you to restore the kingdom back to Israel? Is this the time? And, and they're asking that, and Jesus tells them something very important. This is in Acts 1. You can look there if you want. We won't go through all of it for time. But after he describes them things pertaining to the kingdom, he says, in a few days, here's what's going to happen. Because this is their question. What's next? He says, in a few days, here's what's going to happen. John baptized with water. And in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Just like you were immersed in water, you'll be immersed in the Holy Spirit. You'll be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And, and here's what it's going to enable you to do. In fact, Jesus, for, four, for 40 days, Jesus told them a lot of things. The most well-known is the Great Commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, teach them concerning all those things which I've commanded you. That's the Great Commission. Go into all the world. And, and he, he tells these guys this, and it's really, to be honest, it's an impossible task in the natural but he tells them how they're going to be able to accomplish it. He says, here's what you need to accomplish what you can't do. In a few days, you're going to receive the, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then, then, but they're, they're still preoccupied. They're still stuck. They said, okay, I don't know what that is, Jesus. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. But is it time now? Like, are you going to set up your kingdom now? Like, are you, going to, are you going to come in and rule from Jerusalem? Are you going to do those things which we read about in the Old Testament? Are you going to do that now? And he says, well, I know you're curious about that, and, but this is, he actually says it this way. He says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons the Father's committed to his own purpose. In other words, God has a plan for human history. All of history is moving towards a, pre, a, a course that God's already seen, already knows, and has already gone before us in. So we don't have to fear the future because our God's already there. And while there's battles today, the war's already won. I've read the end of the book. We win. Like no matter what today looks like, we've read the end of the book. He always leads us in triumph in Christ. That's the, that's the end of the story. And we say, well, what about the last days? Is it the last days? Well, I, I believe it is the last days, but here's what I know for certain. It's my last days. It's your last days. And Jesus then turns to them and he says, here's your issue. You're preoccupied with this, but here's what I want to do in your life. He says, Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In other words, they're worried about charts and graphs, but Jesus says, no, you need power. You need something real because I'm going to make you witnesses. What's a witness? Well, there's two kinds of witnesses. Uh, I, I got my degree in criminology, criminal justice, and it serves only this purpose to give me this one illustration. My wife is really into court cases. Like, I don't know why. I think she's writing down ideas, personally. That's, she's doing research. She's preparing. If I, anyway. <laughs> I used to watch Dateline with her, and we watch that, and they'd be talking about a story, you know, wife, you know, husband disappeared, and she's like, oh, what happened? She's right nose. I'm just kidding. She, that, that, that's, that part's not true. Uh, <laughs> but there's two kinds of witnesses. There's expert witnesses. There's forensic experts. There's, there's psychology, psychology experts. There's, there's experts in all kinds of fields. But then there's experiential witnesses. These are people who don't testify of what they learned in their head or what they got a degree in, and that's not bad, but it's people who's, who are eyewitnesses who've experienced something. 
And he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses. That word actually is literally martyr in, in Greek. And it's this idea that you're going to experience something. You will have experienced the resurrection life in Jesus and be an eyewitness. In other words, I was lost, now I'm found. I was broken and then he made me whole. I, 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 so, so here's what we have to understand. Jesus says, I'm going to fill you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Now let me just give you a quick run through of just some things the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, because I believe the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood person in the church. Forget the world, in the church. We treat the Holy Spirit like he's that uncle that we don't want to talk about when we bring our friends over to the house. Like, like can you not do anything strange when my friend's here? Can I just say, the Holy Spirit's not weird. People can be weird. The Holy Spirit's not weird. Now, when I say weird, I don't mean that there's things that are beyond your present experience. Because if you read the Bible, there's all kinds of things that don't fit in your religious box. I mean, just read like from cover to cover. There's some stuff that I go, that's different. But it changed people's lives. Are, are, are you with me? And so, so okay. The Holy Spirit is not a thing or an energy force, or a good vibe. Holy Spirit's a person. Third person in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is no less God. And, and here's, here's what Jesus said. Jesus is walking with his disciples for three and a half years, doing, healing the sick, opening blind eyes, casting out demons, raising the dead, doing all this stuff, teaching the parables. And then he, he tells them something in John 14, 15, and 16 that is like the last instructions before he's about to go to the cross. And if, if it's the last conversation you're going to have with your friends, your closest friends and followers, he's going to leave some very important information. And here's what he tells them. He says, it's actually to your advantage that I go away. Now, as a believer in Jesus, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I, I can't think of anything cooler than having Jesus go with me to work. I can't think of anything cooler than having Jesus come to my house for lunch this afternoon. I can't think of anything better than Jesus going with me to school, going with me to my, the neighborhood, going with me to the grocery store. Like, just to have Jesus, and that the disciples are going from town to town, and Jesus is walking with them, and he actually then turns and he says, hey guys, I know this has been awesome, but I'm about to go sit down at the right hand of the Father. It's to your advantage that I go. And here's why he says this, that the helper may come. I'm not gonna, and of course, this, they're, they're starting to freak out, to be honest. The disciples are going, wait, you're leaving? What do you mean you're leaving? What, and he, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You can read it. It's in those, two, those three chapters. He says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to actually come to you. And what does he mean? I'm going to come to you through the Holy Spirit. Because he says, I'm going to send another helper. And that word another, not to get too technical, in the Greek language is, there's two different words for another. There's, in the Greek language, there's a, another of a different kind. Like if you come to me and say, hey, I want an apple, but I give you a fruit, or uh, excuse me, I give you an orange. It's, a, it's another fruit, but it's a different kind of fruit. Are you with me? But if I give you an apple, if you ask for an apple and I give you another apple, it's another of the same kind. So when Jesus says, I'm gonna send you a helper, he's saying, I'm gonna send you a helper of the same kind as me. Just like I've been, he will be. And the reason why it's to your advantage is because Jesus, in a, in a natural sense, is walking in Israel, in Galilee, and he's in one place at one time. And he sleeps. We know he slept. He slept in the boat when the disciples were in the storm. Like we, he, we know that he was in one place and there's crowds of people and everybody's trying to get a word in and they're surrounded and Peter always talks first. 
And you want to talk to Jesus, but you got to wait for Peter to stop talking. And... But it'd be different because now we have the Holy Spirit and you can talk to God anywhere. You can talk to God in the church. You can talk to God outside of the church. You can talk to God on Sunday. You can talk to God on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Are you with me? The Holy Spirit's with you always. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He, he starts by what he does in us. And, and uh, Titus chapter 3 says it this way. If we can put that on the screen. Uh, Titus chapter 3. Let me pull up on my notes here. Here's what it says. Verse four, when the kindness and love of God our, Savior toward, uh, God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. What does that mean? We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We, we couldn't be good enough to earn our way to heaven or be saved from our sins. But according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Whether you realize it or not, the Bible describes a lot of things that happened in the moment you said yes to Jesus. One of those, not only were we forgiven of our sin, but we went from death to life. Spiritual death to spiritual life. And that happened because of a miracle. You know the greatest miracle? We, we serve a God who does miracles. We've seen it here. We've seen it, you know, I love it. We've seen it at the park. He does miracles. I love that. The greatest miracle is a transformed heart. Like we were dead in our sin and he made us alive in Jesus. The Holy Spirit does that on the inside. All of a sudden, I have new desires. I have a new, in, I have a new identity. I have a new purpose. And, and the Holy Spirit, the, the, Jesus described it as being born again. We're born again. The Holy Spirit renews us, regenerates us. And it says he poured out on us abundantly. He didn't just give you a little bit. He didn't just go, okay, with the apostles in the, old, in the, in the Bible, I'm going to give them everything. And y'all, like, they're going to get the Big Mac Holy Spirit, and the rest of you get Happy Meal Holy Spirit. I like food. I, I just have to put things in food analogies. I'm sorry. And, and so the what's next for the disciples was going to be, as Jesus went to heaven, that the Holy Spirit be poured out. And here's what the Holy Spirit does. He changes us from the inside out. And then he empowers us. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What's, what's power? Power is, we need power for life. We need power to walk out our purpose. We need power to live for God. Like, I need the Holy Spirit's help to be the dad I need to be, to be the husband I need to be, to be, let's just be real, to be a Christian. Amen. Like, I think the Christian life is impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's just willpower, me trying to fix things, me failing over and over again. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do what God calls us to do. Really, he empowers us to do the impossible. He empowers the church to turn the world upside down. He leads us into all truth. He guides us. He corrects us. When, see, I, I, if, if the only voice I hear is my own, I can easily be self-deceived. If the only voice I even hear is the world, you know what Paul would say about the Holy Spirit? He, he says this, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 12. You can put that up if, if you can find it in the notes. I, I've got a berry there. But here's what it says. We have not received the spirit of the world, but we have received the spirit that comes from God. Whether you knew it or not, there's more than one spirit at work. The Holy Spirit's the one drawing you to Jesus. But there's a, there's a force at work in the world that causes, this, this is why I, I just picked up a book. It's like Bible nerd stuff. I picked up a book that was written in 300 AD. And I opened it up and it's the same issues that we're dealing with today. 
It really is. Like I read it and it was like, wow, I could turn on the news and see this very issue. Why? Because the spirit hasn't changed. It's the same thing that's driving and that's controlling and that's destroying. And yet the Holy Spirit's at work. And we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Romans 8, from the, I read it from the Message Bible, but here's how it says it in the New King James. It says, we have not received a spirit of bondage again to fear. Religion operates by a spirit of bondage to fear. Like the only way, to, you know, I, I have to be ruled by fear to live for God, to live. And yet, here's what we actually have instead of that. We have the spirit of adoption. Spirit of adoption is the Holy Spirit who says, you belong to God. Your life has a purpose. You were created in the image of God. Jesus has paid the price for you. And when the Holy Spirit then corrects me, it's not a shame and condemnation thing. Like, like if, because I'm just going to be real. I think I'm right most of the time. Anybody else? Some of us are like, I don't ever feel like I'm right. No, no. I, I mean, I haven't been right since I got married. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm like in so much trouble today. No, but, but here's, we're both right. That's why. And, and sometimes we need somebody, we need, we need the voice of the Holy Spirit to come along in love and in truth to say, let me help you with that. I think I'm justified in having a bad attitude with my wife. I think I'm justified in the way I spoke to that person in the way, and yet the Holy Spirit comes along and says, uh, no, let's deal with that. You ever write a message, you're responding to somebody, and then the Holy Spirit goes, we're, we're stopping that. Like, let's just not do that. Let's just stop there. And then you delete. Yeah, I, I thank God for unsent messages. Okay. Let's go to John 5. John chapter 5. I want us to look at a story today. It's, of course, before the cross, resurrection, all of that, but it illustrates what I believe God wants to do. And John chapter 5 says this, now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. Bethesda means, be translated for two things. It could be house of grace or house of outpouring. Both of those are beautiful. That, that it's the place where grace is available and where something is poured out. In fact, it actually is like a, it, it functions like a hospital. If we go to the next verse, verse three, um, here's what it says. In these, in these five porches, lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, and here's what they're doing. They're waiting for the moving of the water. So in the house of outpouring, there's a crowd of people who are hurting, who are broken, who are lost, and they're waiting for something to happen. And it goes on to describe what the waiting of the water, or the, the moving of the water is. There's a pool there, and this is a weird story, I'll be honest. It's a weird story because it's the only time it happens in the entire Bible. And it says this, that they're waiting for an angel to come. In fact, let me just read it. An angel would go down at a certain time into the pool and would stir up the water. And whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. They're crowded around. Okay, I know I'm going to offend somebody. This is kind of like a crowd gathering because they saw a picture of Mary in a waffle. Okay, I'll take that back. Delete that from the podcast. <laughs> they're waiting for an angel to play in the water. They're waiting and they're expecting something, but nothing's changing. Except maybe one person gets ahead. 
One person gets in the pool and they get healed, but everybody else sits there and they're watching. They go back, they're disappointed. They have to wait again until the, the angel comes back and maybe something happens. And, and yet here's the condition. The house of outpouring is empty. The house of outpouring, the place that should be an outpouring of healing and grace is a place where there's limited results. And people are sitting there being spectators instead of experiencing as firsthand witnesses. And it's always tragic to me when as the church, we become like that. We, we, we become spectators. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Amen. We become spectators only instead of stepping into everything that heaven wants to pour out for us. Pour out the Holy Spirit. Pour out his grace. Pour out his freedom. Pour out peace and hope and joy and all the things that Jesus wants to bring into our lives. The righteousness of God. It says this angel will go down at a certain time, stir the water. Uh, and, and here's what it says in verse 5. A certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? That's a weird question. It's a weird question because the man is, he's, he's unable to walk. They've carried him on a mat and placed him there, left him there. And now he's like the crowd waiting for something to happen. In fact, the reason he's at Bethesda is so he can be healed. Like that's why he's there. The reason I think it's a weird question is Jesus asks him, weird to me, but here's why. Jesus asks him what seems very obvious. But what Jesus was after was not restating why that guy was there. It was actually getting to the heart of a man who had had 38 years of disappointment. 38 years of reasons why not him. 38 years of, well, I guess it won't happen this time for me. In fact, I know that's the case because here's how he responds. He doesn't go, yes, of course, Jesus, I'm waiting here by the pool. What does he do? He says, sir... You can read it. Sir, I have no man. I have nobody. I'm all alone. Just me. And, and, and then he, gets, he gets, takes it further. He says, yeah, not only am I alone, but I have nobody to put me in the water. And when, when the, the angel starts playing in the pool, stirring the water, I, I shouldn't say it, playing in the pool, that's my, okay. The angel stirring the water, what does he do? He says, I'm crawling, I'm trying to get there. And just before I get there, one of those good for nothing people that have been sitting next to me, they cut in front of me in line and they get in the pool and they get what I was waiting for. When the water is stirred, I'm coming, but another steps down before me. Jesus doesn't do what I think most of us would probably do. We would feel, we'd be like, man, I'm so sorry. That really stinks. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't go, you're right. You are so mistreated right now. Because some things in life give us a shovel while we're already in the pit. But it doesn't make us more free. It doesn't help us out of the pit. You know what Jesus does? He comes along and gives us a rope to get out. He says to the man, rise, take up your bed and walk. I've got three points. I didn't forget the points, I promise. I know for some of us, it's not a sermon unless there's points. Point one is this. It's a question. It's the same question that Jesus asked the man. He said, do you want it? 
Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be free? Do you want change? Do you want joy? Do you want hope again? Do you want forgiveness? Do you want transformation? Do you want the power of the Holy Spirit? I know sometimes in religion we're so conditioned to think, well, if God just wants to do it, he'll just do it. And I know there are moments where Jesus, you know, comes along and knocks the Saul of Tarsus off of his donkey and saves him and transforms his life. There's also moments where, in the vast majority of them, is an invitation. Whosoever will, come. Come to the water of life. Come to the place of freedom. And this man is there for 38 years. I think the reason why Jesus asked him that question is because after 38 years, the man's greatest issue was not just being on the mat, not just being unable to walk, but it was what he was paralyzed by on the inside. Jesus asked him, do you want this? Do you want things to change? Do you want the life that's available for you? Do you want it? Here's the promise of God concerning the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38, Peter said on the day of Pentecost, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, your children, and to all who are afar off. If you don't know, that's all of us. 2,000 years later, this promise is still for us. As many as the Lord our God will call. So, so he has a promise for us. In fact, he describes the Holy Spirit as the promise of the Father. And Jesus elsewhere would use this analogy. He says, you know, if you were to go to your earthly father and ask him for bread, he wouldn't give you a rock. If you asked him for something else, he wouldn't give you a serpent. Like you, you, and, and if we being imperfect, conditioned by the evil of the world, wouldn't do that, how much more will your heavenly father, and here's how he puts it, in Matthew's gospel, he says, how much more will your heavenly father give good things to those who ask? Luke's gospel says, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The promise of God is freely available. Do you want it? I, I, I didn't ask, do you understand it all? But do you want it? I've been teaching the Bible for 18 years. I still, there's so much more of God that I want to know. I'm hungry to, 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 to grow and experience more. And I'm telling you that there's more for every single person in this room. For the brand new Christian or the person who's been in church for 40 years. Don't get stale. Thank you. Ask. He says, ask, you will receive. Seek, you will find. Knock, the door will be open. What's the point? Faith has a response. But I thought we had to wait. Well, waiting is a part of promises. Sometimes we receive some things right away and some things have a process. He told them even to, when they were going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, he says, go and wait in Jerusalem. Go and, go and get together there. Go and pray and wait for the promise. I'm going to pour it out. But here's the point. When you're waiting for the promise of God, in fact, that's the second point. If, you, if you're taking notes, what are you waiting for? If you're waiting for God's promise, God will fulfill it. God's promises have no expiration date. God's promises have an answer because they're rooted in the nature and character of your God. He's not a man that he should lie. And so, so 
there's a promise of God that's to be poured out for all of us, for any who will ask, any who are ready, any who want, who want freedom, who want Jesus, who want the Holy Spirit, who want more of God. It's, it's that simple, like a child going to their father saying, God, I need you. I need your help. I need what you have available. And when there's a process of waiting, the, the, can I just tell you, the waiting is always about growth and transformation. When there is a season of waiting for a promise, it's always about changing me, so I'm ready for the promise. But there's also a type of waiting that's the negative side of waiting. And I think it comes from waiting for the wrong thing. If I look at this story, there's something that I love in the story. He says to the man, rise up, take up your mat and walk. He picks up the thing that had been, he had been dependent upon. The world often points out the problem without offering a real lasting solution. You'll always be broken. You'll always deal with this. You'll always struggle. Instead of what we sing about today, the one who the sun sets free is free indeed. Real freedom, lasting freedom, real joy, real peace. And, and yet, when you look at the crowd... Jesus walks through the crowd. He comes to this man, and this man's healed. He picks up his mat. He does what Jesus said. Probably didn't even understand it all. What I love is God doesn't require my understanding to change my life. He doesn't require my understanding to use my life. He doesn't require my understanding. He just says to the man, pick up your mat and carry it out. In fact, Jesus doesn't respond even to his statement, I have no man. What was he waiting for? He was waiting for somebody else. He was waiting for people to notice, people to be his source, people to be his strength. And as long as you're looking for somebody else, as long as you're looking for answers in all the wrong places, you can miss, the entire crowd miss Jesus walking in the midst. That to me is the most startling part of the story. Not even the angel that's playing in the water. It's the fact that Jesus walked and healed that man and walked out with no one else even noticing. Nobody else saying, uh, what you just did for that guy? Can I get some of that? Can you heal me too? Do you know Jesus would go crowd to crowd and heal the multitudes? Why just this one man? Everybody else is looking in the wrong place. Everybody else is waiting. What are you waiting for? Well, I'm just waiting for them to apologize. I'll forgive, but I'm just waiting for them to apologize. I'm waiting for this to change. I'm waiting for my boss to notice me before I work hard. I'm wait, and we're, we're looking at a pool. We're looking in the wrong place. And God, Jesus walks right into the crowd. What was possible that everybody else missed? What if the Holy Spirit is doing something right here and right now? I believe he is. I, I believe he's no less at work in the lives in this room than he was for that man. As he healed him and he changed his life forever. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Sir, I have nobody. Sir, I have no man. I'm waiting for this. I'm waiting for that. And yet, in the midst of it, are we waiting for God's promise? If you're waiting for God's fulfillment, God's promise, God's answer, there will be a fulfillment. 
If I'm waiting for something outside of God, I'm gonna just tell you, there's gonna be at some point a disappointment. If I'm waiting for that relationship to be perfect, that person, you complete me. Yeah, great movie line, bad relationship advice. And yet, what if God did something in my life and in your life? What if the thing that it once held us, we now carried out? What if instead of being bound and broken, we were healed and whole? Let me just ask you this, why not here? Why not right now? We're, in religion, we're experts at what God used to do and what he'll do one day in the sweet by and by. But what about today? What about today? What could Jesus do in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit today, through his word today? Why not you? Why not you? He worked in the life of that man who had an issue for 38 years. He turned his world upside down. He changed his life. Don't ever think, well, it's been 38 years. It's too late. It's impossible. It's too big for God. Number three, final point. Jason, if you want to get ready. It's very simple. It's time to get up and running. <laughs> it's time to get up and running. There was something the man had to do in response to what Jesus said. He didn't figure it out. He didn't go, Jesus, let me explain to me how this is going to happen when I've been here for 38 years. He just responded to the word. And he was healed but I believe this gives us a picture of what happens when the Holy Spirit empowers you, where you've been a spectator, where you've been watching life go by you, where you've been maybe held back by, maybe it's not what this man dealt with in a physical infirmity. Maybe you're dealing with something like what he had on the inside. You're dealing with shame. You're dealing with fear. You're dealing with preoccupation with all the people that cut in front of you and who left you and who disappointed you. And while... What if all along the way you're missing what Jesus is inviting you to right here, right now? He got up and running. In fact, the Pharisees get upset. The religious leaders, they gather around this man and they ask him, what happened? Tell us about, you're a follower of Jesus, aren't you? And he's like, I don't even know what just took place. I don't have it all figured out. Go ask him. <laughs> and this is important, church. Because I think sometimes we're waiting for all the wrong things. We're waiting because we're looking in the wrong place for the wrong source to be our... Can I just say this? Your identity doesn't come from the world. Your identity doesn't come from how much money you make, who likes you, who's with you, who's not with you. No. Your identity and worth and value come from the God who made you, loved you, Jesus paid the price and died for you. You don't have to stay stuck and bound and separated. Sin separates us from God. Jesus came to give us life and freedom, salvation from our sins. Gives us a future and a hope. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. And I want us to pray today before we go. If our altar team, prayer team members, if you come to the front, what's next I bet you that man's definition of what's next changed the moment he encountered Jesus up to that point all he was hoping was maybe I can crawl to the pool 
Maybe somebody will have mercy on me this time and carry me to the pool. But that day that Jesus healed him, his idea of what's next was radically redefined. And I believe it began to look a lot like what I read to you in the very beginning in Romans 8. Childlike anticipation. What's possible? What's possible with God? I ask you to do this if you bow your heads and close your eyes. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.